This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. Welcome to the Invested Podcast. We are here to teach and learn about investing. Mostly learn. Mostly teach. <laughs> <laughs> Although I have to say, I've always seen in my life that you learn, I learn the most when I teach something. Yeah. And you certainly, I've learned on this podcast that you certainly learn where the holes are, where you've sort of lightly, you know, treated it lightly intellectually, that you've sort of breezed through some major point. And you've been amazing at kind of poking uh, the holes out and saying, here, you know, I don't understand this and this doesn't make sense and so on. So that I've learned a lot actually on this podcast, um, well, a lot of it about how to teach it maybe. And oh, that's nice. I wasn't trying to poke of, holes. I was just trying to understand. Well, it's the best, the best rationale for poking holes is trying to understand. <laughs> so we're wrapping up something here. What are we wrapping up? The management of the business. We're understanding the management of the business as one of our major checklist items. And we've covered the fact that management is is good if the company has little or no debt. ROIC is high, not getting smaller. ROE is high, not getting smaller. It's got low maintenance, capital expenditures, free cash flow is a big chunk of earnings. Owner earnings is a big chunk of earnings. CEO's experience, got a great track record, believe they have integrity, their pay is reasonable based on long-term success. So they're on the same side of the table as us. Which, which we, we talked, talked a about whole last time, bunch about, yeah. Is somewhat problematic. Super interesting. And uh, last thing is that management is buying their stock, which is- Wait a second. Okay. I write each okay. one down and I make a little checkbox because it's a checklist. Um, <laughs> say it again. <laughs> the whole thing? No, just the, the newest one. The newest one, the last one, the last 10. one, number management 10. is buying their stock. And by that, management I mean, is buying their stock. That means insider trading will show that the management team is reporting that they're buying their own stock out in the market and paying real money. Okay. So you said a couple things there. One is they're buying it off the market Public rate. market public yep. market. Yep. So what you're talking about there is that when somebody who's an insider, like an executive is, they have to report to the SEC in the US. This is how it works. They have to report to the SEC that they have bought the stock of their company and the SEC then puts it out publicly so that we all know what's going on. And if they sell, they have to do the same thing. So that we just know kind of like what's happening. Oh, and and they have is, to do it rather quickly too. 48 yes. hours. <clears throat> and they have to tell us what price they paid for it, how many shares they bought. True. So it's quite quite comprehensive, and we get to see um, that all-important information. And why is that important? Because they only buy their stock for one reason, 
and that's because it's going to go up. There's a lot of reasons why somebody might sell a stock who's in a management position. But if it's a significant purchase, and we'll talk about that in a second, there's only one reason that management makes significant purchases of their own stock at market prices through the public market, and that is because that is going up in their opinion. doesn't mean they're right all the time, but it is a heck of a great signal that something good is in the works that you may not see in the numbers. But these guys are the, on the very inside, and it's not illegal for them to do that. That's, <clears throat> I think, really astonishes some people because obviously management knows things that have not been disclosed to the to the public. Yeah. And yet they can buy their own stock based on that inside information when if they told me, if if somebody from Armada Hoffler, for example, which is a like a family-owned company, largely a public company, but our family owns a big chunk of it, if if someone on the inside of that company told me something about the company that had not been released to the public and I went and bought the stock, I could go to jail. I could go to jail. Um, that's what they got Martha, what's her name? Graham? <laughs> Martha Stewart. Martha Stewart. No, Martha Graham. All right, Martha Stewart, they didn't actually get her for inside trading, but I think they could have. They, they got her for lying about it. Yeah. And she went and did jail time. So this is a really interesting loophole in the law for insider trading. And that is a management team absolutely can buy their own stock without disclosing this new information to the public as long as they file with the SEC within 48 hours that they bought the stock. So this is important information because it's kind of the equivalent of going public with some new information. I think that's a big stretch. I that's don't know. It's a little that, overstated. It's mega overstated. We don't know overstated. we don't know why somebody's buying or selling. And the thing is like this whoa, is what whoa, many Whoa, 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 uh, whoa, whoa. We don't know why somebody is selling. <laughs> we know why they're buying. Yeah, I don't know about that. I think there's some nuance to it. And that's what I want to ask you about with this particular okay. one. Cuz I right. I often question what to think like how to take something. Okay. But but what I wanted to add first before we talk about buying is with selling, I've had people say to me, oh, the CEO just sold a ton of shares. Like, that's a really bad sign. And I am never sure if it really... I, I always take that with a big grain of salt that it's a bad sign because I think a lot of the time, and it depends on who it is and it depends on the situation always, but a lot of the time it's founders and they don't have... This is their this is their money. It's all in the stock of their company and the way that they get liquid cash is they sell their shares. So I've seen some founders who then end up with a public company selling a bunch and it's because they like want to buy a house or something. You know, it's not necessarily because yeah. like something bad is gonna happen to their company. So I mean look if if a founder has, you know, two hundred million dollars of value in their stock. And they sell ten million because they want to buy a big house. That's one thing. That is if one thing. They have two hundred million dollars of their own stock, and they sell one hundred and fifty million of it. That's something screamingly other. It is, and I'm talking more about somebody with like twenty million in their stock, and they sell three million of it. How do you take and that? And they're probably you not know? a founder. No, they, I'm talking. I'm, talking this i'm thinking particularly of katrina lake at stitch fix who sold a bunch of sh stock 
and who Katrina Lake at Stitch Fix. Ah, there we go. And um, how, what, what percentage? Well, okay. Tell I mean, me I don't remember the exact details, but it was roughly, she has something like, tw- she had something like 20 million of equity and she sold something like two or 3 million. And I was sort of sitting oh there gosh, like, I'm, what? I'm kind of amazed that a company that's done as well as Stitch Fix, she only has $20 million position in it as a founder. Yeah. I might that's get the numbers stunning. a little bit wrong. Um, be missing it wasn't 200 million. That's oh, for yeah. sure. And by the way, you know, founders that go from literally they are the founder, they're not somebody who came on three years in and ends up as the CEO of a public company, they get really diluted. So, you know, it's not a Facebook, it's not some huge, massive unicorn. It's a company that may not do very well in the future. So, yeah, she got diluted. Um. Anyway, that's just an example of somebody I looked at and I was thinking like, oh, what does this really mean? You know, is she heading out? Is this, is she on the way out and she wants to sell while she's still in charge and still has knowledge about what's going on? Is, is this just cause she's like, needs some, needs some cash? <clears throat> um, all of which I totally okay, understand. So, so as of middle, like a year ago, she had $375 million worth of stock. When was, oh, a year ago when it was at its height. Yeah. So I don't know where it is right now. She owns 13 million shares. We can do the math. (laughs) Okay. Let's do the math. Okay. So here we go. So Stitch Fix is right now at 24 bucks. It peaked in 2018 at 49. And when she sold her stock a year ago, it was right where it is now. At about 25. So at that point, she owned $375 million worth, which means she probably still does. Ballpark. And are you seeing how much she sold? Because I might have gotten that wrong too. Let's see. Let's take a look. Fascinating audio research. (laughs) Yes. So the point is, when somebody sells, she sold a hundred thousand shares at an average price of twenty bucks. So you know, do the math. That's yeah. So I yeah, I was way off. It's like two million dollars out of her three hundred seventy-five. In other words, she sold off a rounding error. And that's what I was saying. If you're a founder and and a company that's as successful as that, I'm I. I understand dilution and all that, but getting diluted down to 20 million, that would be, I think that would be just, I don't know how, I, that would be not, that wouldn't happen. Okay. That's I too mean, way too it, far. It could, but yeah, it's a lot. So Ooh, Stitch here's the point. Fix stock is a broken IPO, director Bill Gurley. Ooh, Stitch Fix stock is a broken IPO. You know, not to get off track here, <laughs> that we would never get off track. <laughs> But I really like Stitch Fix. I yeah, use me them. too. Yeah, me. Too. I, I mean, don't I'm use amazed. It, they send me. They send me clothes. I've never had a closet like I've got now. It's kind of fun. I'm it's so not glad. Overwhelming. I wish yeah, I could get it. Cool. I can't get it in Switzerland. But so there's something um, really good about it. It's very clever, and I don't know why it's a broken IPO. I don't. I would think it'd be working great right now. So we'll have to take a look in, into that a little deeper. But, the point um, is, point, the point is, is, back to the point, when a founder mm. sells some stock 
I'm not sure it actually indicates that there's something going on with the company. No, and it's always it's always it's like a lot. Yeah. It's always like a question of like, oh, what does that mean? <laughs> what? <laughs> if it's a lot, it matters. Yeah. If it's a lot, it matters. And by the way, they usually do it well in advance of bad information coming out because they don't want to get accused of uh, front running something really major because even though they're protected by uh, insider trading laws, if they front, if they unload a ton of stock before some major announcement that everything has gone to hell, um, they'll get sued. They might not go to jail, but they're going to get sued for sure. Yeah, um, it's not a good thing to do. Not a good, not a good plan. So uh, what that means for us is that if you keep track of this kind of stuff on companies you're interested in, you may have an opportunity to buy into that company just before some sort of announcement that triggers the stock price to take off or to drop, take off in either direction, right? Up or down. So that would be important if you own it and it's already at a high price or you own it and you're keeping track of it and you're concerned maybe things aren't going that well. You're thinking, gee, maybe the story's changing. That can be a sign that the story's changing. And at that point, you may want to take action to protect your investment before some announcement comes out. You could hedge it, for example, using an option, which we haven't talked about much here, but that gets a little more sophisticated. Or more to the point, we use this kind of insider trading clue um, to to buy into the stock. This is It's often a really good clue that something good is going to happen if some CEO steps in and starts buying like crazy. If the price is is pretty low if the price is in the margin of safety area and yeah, you're seeing exactly. them buy. Yeah. I think those two clues together um, is a really good sign. Yep. But I, okay. Yep. So here's, here's what I wanted to ask you though. So I have seen, and I mean, these people are not like, you know, it's not their first run around the block. They know that people search even and do filters and screens for companies in which the executives are buying the stock. They know that people look for that. So when you see it and, you know, knowing that people use it kind of as a PR method, like they're wise to it. How do you take that? Like how much do you need to see? How much buying do you need to see before it, it seems real to you? Um, I'll tell you what, it's more like how little buying seems fake is really how I look at it. Hmm. It's really kind of hard to say where the line is between we're faking that we really want to own this stock by buying a small number of shares. And um, and what I look for is that across the board, um, the management team suddenly gets religion about their stock and they start buying 4,000 shares each or something like that. It's like somebody had a board meeting and they said, go out and buy the stock, by God. We need to support this stock. Right, which definitely happens. <laughs> oh, yeah, because they know these things are being tracked. Right. And um, and they can fake you into thinking things are great. Yeah. Um, and so you want to make sure it's a significant chunk of stock, significant chunk of stock. And that would mean a meaningful amount of stock relative to what that CEO already owns or relative to the total dollars. So, you know, for example, um, in mid-March, the CEO and chairman of the board of Armada Hoffler jumped in and started buying stock when Armada Hoffler stock dropped from 18 down to eight. 
and they climbed in there and started buying it just out of thin blue air. Both of them are very significant owners of the stock. And they were purchasing shares totaling a quarter million to half a million dollars. So that's not chicken feed for anybody. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a bunch of money. That, yeah, I, it wasn't so much that they were being like, oh, wildly yeah. telling us that something great's going to happen. But it wasn't so little that they were just, you know, throwing a, a, a sort of throwing breadcrumbs out there. It, it, it really was enough money where they would, and I know these guys, they wouldn't do it unless they were confident that the company was going to do well. So mm-hmm. that was a trigger for me. Hmm. to buy. I went, I went, I bought following that, that trigger. Hmm. Thought that was, that would be a good time to hit it. Um, because I thought it was on sale and I thought, oh, wow, these guys are climbing in there. That's a really, that's a really good point. So, or that's a really good point in time to, to be thinking about buying. If other, if otherwise you're ready to pull the trigger, then yeah, there you go. Hmm. So how much is that for a guy that's worth, you know, $50 $50 million or something or Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I'm thinking. Like, it's like me yeah. spending 10000 or something. Yeah, but it's not. It, it isn't. It, you know, I mean, I've got some money and people don't throw around half a million dollars very often. It, it, half I've a million, seen, I agree with you. That's a decent yeah. amount of money. The quarter million, I'm like, they probably have a car that's worth a quarter million. Yeah, he has a car worth a quarter million. <laughs> 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 you got me on that one. So there, so let's say half a million. If we're looking for a number, maybe half a million or a million dollars, something like that to, to make you feel comfortable. Okay. But the idea, you, got, you guys get the idea. But I think it's the idea the, here is especially the point that it's combined with the low price. Because in that situation that you just described, you pointed out, it was at a very low price compared to what it had been. And I have no clue if that was a good price or not, but you said it was at $8 versus 18. And so it had gone down significantly and they were showing support for, uh, for that price. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I, I think that that combination is really, really great. Um, and it happens quite a lot actually that you get a margin of safety and you get a, you get the insiders buying and the beauty of a real, I, I, it's not a new law, but within the last decade or so, um, they force these guys to put that tr- trade information in within 48 hours. And that's really helpful because often the stock price is right where they bought it at just 48 hours later because nobody knew, right? Mm, true. Now, by the way, the other, the other thing you can do is you can watch for spikes in volume. If you're, if you're thinking about where's my entry point into a company, you can watch the volume of a company. And sometimes that'll give you a clue that somebody significant is buying it. Um, Ooh, talk about that a little bit. That's a new one that we've never talked about. Yeah, I'm thinking <clears throat> in particular, like I'm thinking of a company like Berkshire Hathaway, where the stock's on sale by by Buffett's criteria. Uh, that is Warren Buffett years ago said that um, if Berkshire Hathaway stock price ever got to 120% of book value, that he would consider buying it at that point or lower. Not that he would buy it, that he would, but that he would consider buying it. So that's sort of become the Buffett put, if you will, in the he market. He also said recently that he no longer agrees with that. Right. Well, not that he not doesn't so much. Agree not that he doesn't. It. Yeah, you're right. Not that he doesn't agree with it, but that he has a different way of because of had, the accounting rules changing. He doesn't like book value as much anymore. 
Yeah, he has because book value can dramatically go down or dramatically go up now that uh, the reporting requirements are different. But in general, um, and basically what Berkshire is doing is they're, they're, they took away that um, restriction. They, the board basically had it as a restriction that you couldn't buy it. Now they're saying you can buy it when you want to. Oh, I see, I see. So they kind of had that as a rule inside the yeah. company. I see. Yeah. So right now the stock is below that. Um, at least it was when we're recording this or in the ballpark of that purchase price. And so if you suddenly see a spike in Berkshire shares in the market, um, it might, I mean, I haven't seen it, but it might be, if it happens, an indicator that Buffett has stepped in with Berkshire money and is starting to buy the stock as an insider. Mm-hmm. And um, and I'm, I'm saying that right now just because there's a lot of speculation about why he would do that. Sitting on 140 to 150 billion dollars of cash, this he stated in the past that when it gets down to this level, it's very, as it might be a very good use of cash to buy the stock, um, and he hasn't bought it yet. But if he stepped in and started buying it, we would probably see a pretty significant spike in volume, because he's not going to step in and do it with a, a few hundred million dollars. He's going to come in there with billions, and that would be significant. So you'd want to know that. If you're watching Berkshire, you'd kind of want to know that is happening before Buffett comes out and says, oh, yeah, we're buying the stock 48 hours. Oh, later. I get where you're going. So you watch the volume chart, even though there's been no announcement of insider buying. Right. And take from that an indication. Well, obviously, somebody's buying, right? If there's volume somebody's, and the price somebody is going up. is buying. Yeah. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. It's possible for a big, big player like that to go to the SEC, and I hate this, but this is true. They can go to the SEC and say, look, we are so big that if we have to announce that we are buying this stock, it's going to create uh, a a large difficulty for us to do what we want to do because the public is going to jump in on top of us and drive the price up out of this range. So if you will give us an exclusion to this rule, we would like to go and buy the stock first and then declare that we did it. Hmm. And I don't hmm. know why they give them these exclusions, but they do from time to time, uh, particularly when they're trying to buy some other company. I don't know if they'll do it on their own insider company, but they certainly have done it in the past on companies Buffett's trying to acquire. And hmm. they'll do it for other people as well who are big, big acquirers of stock and they just don't have to disclose that they're doing it when they would, under ordinary rules, have to disclose that. And by the way, they're changing all this. This is the other thing. It's really, right now, There's they're changing insider trading rules. Really? I don't know anything about that. Yeah, there's a there's a 60-day fact-finding or whatever they call it where the public has a chance to respond. I don't know what you guys mm-hmm. call that. Mm-hmm. 60 days. I don't know that it started yet, but they just announced it in the paper a couple of days ago that it's going to be a 60-day hearing with the SEC about whether they should move the limit or move the, move the minimum amount of money under management from $100 million to $3.5 billion uh, to be the new minimum that you have to have before you have to do a 13F filing, which was oh, this eliminate. Oh, this is different from insider trading. This is, yeah. this is um, disclosure of ownership of right. funds. 
just made me think about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super interesting. I hadn't read about that. But it would eliminate investors like Guy Spear, Monash Prabhai. Yeah. um, And, oh man, um, a a bunch of the guys. In the the 46 people that I track carefully on our website, um, it it would eliminate a bunch of them. Um, it won't eliminate Ackman, Einhorn, Loeb, guys like that, but it's going to eliminate some of the best investors in the world who intentionally keep their funds below 3.5 billion. And, um, that's that I, I'm, I'm torn a little bit because I certainly understand why, you know, why me or anybody else who's buying a bunch of stock doesn't want the public to know what we're doing. We're trying to get a position. It's hard to get it because we've got a lot of money that we're trying to get into the market and it takes weeks to get in. You know, a small investor has such an advantage. They, you can walk in and there's a good price. You can get everything you want to buy right then. Boom. Yeah. You know, yeah. 10 yeah. seconds later. Yeah. Whereas, you know, it might take, might take me on a, on a smaller company. I, we've experienced this. We, we've been trying to buy some stock in a company. We, we cannot get enough of it without driving the price up. I mean, you look at Charlie Munger's company, the little daily journal. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many people following that. If, if you try to go in there and buy some stock, that price can jump 10% on even just a small stock purchase. Hmm. So imagine what it's like if you've got billions of dollars and you're trying to get into a position. So I understand why they don't want to do it. On the other hand, man, is it good for the little guy to know what's going on out there? I just love it for the small investor that they can see and get some clues about how to clone and who to clone and how powerful that is. And so I'm going to, I'm going to write the sec and ask them to, to not do it, not make the change. I'm sure that I'm kind of pissing in the wind to tell you the truth, but I, I think they probably already made up their mind. You know, it's one of those kind of things where let's go, let's go let the public have their little time in front of us, but we've already made up our mind kind of deal. Um, I don't, I know nothing about it. This is the first time I've heard about it, but, um, just because they're holding hearings about it doesn't mean that it's a done deal, you know? Um, yeah, but the way but, they're writing about it, it looks like, uh, yeah, oh, really? Yeah. Is that in the wall street journal? They're writing about yeah, it. Like this is yeah. coming. Uh, this is that's coming, interesting. Yeah. It's interesting because I, I, again, without having done research on it, the whole idea behind 13 F filings, which are the filings in which fund managers have to disclose, um, is specifically so that the public knows who owns what. It's so that there's knowledge about who the major players are in these various companies. It's not, it was not so that the little guy could find out what investors were doing. I don't think, I think that's a side benefit, but it's so that we know that these three or seven major funds who are super powerful and have billions all own this, uh, I don't know, what's a stitch fix, they, you know, whatever, like some smaller company that they may have a lot of influence over. And, and if you're somebody um, looking to invest, you want to know who, who owns it, who else could take their money out and, and to know, especially which ones are major institutions, which ones have large amounts of money behind them and could add more or could remove it. And so it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Unfortunately, that I think you are, 100% right. And that's the logic behind the change because they're basically saying when this was put in, $100 million represented 
X percentage of the market and it was a certain size of fund. Right. And oh, today that, that equivalent is $3.5 billion. Oh, logic. Hmm. Right. Which tells you you ought to be investing in the stock market. <laughs> right? Because otherwise, in other words, just sitting there it, to a certain degree has moved $100 million to become $3.5 billion in a period of <laughs> 50 years. Well, uh, that's, I'm sure that's you think true. About it, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you think about it, that's, let's see, 100 to 200 is one double, 400, 800, 1.6. 3.2. That's five doubles in 50 years. That's only one double every 10 years. That's a 7% growth rate, which is the growth rate of the market plus dividends. So nice. There you go. Sweet math, by the way. Yeah. Thank you. You're very good um, at that doubling thing. <laughs> you are. So it, it, it's funny. You know, so we were, we were just talking about the impact of this kind of thinking. Um, one of the people that works for us uh, has a has a couple of kids who got married young they had their first baby right away. Um, he's a firefighter and she doesn't work because she's got the kid at home and they're struggling financially, right? They go out and they buy a golden retriever. All right. This puppy is a disaster. Just running all over the damn house, broke a window, cut a tendon, oh, and now no. they're paying $2,500 to fix this moron dog, Yeah. right? Yeah. That they don't have, but Dogs they're going to get expensive. it. They're going to find it. Okay. Now here's, here's my way of thinking at that kind of rate of return, $2,500 in 50 years, which they're going to be around 50 years from now, they're young, 50 years from now, they're going to get, let's see how many doubles they are doubling every 10 years. So they get five doubles. So that's 2,500 becomes 5,000, 10,000, 20,000, 40,000, Eighty thousand dollars. So they've just they've just gone off and repaired an eighty thousand dollar dog. And if you think about that, they wouldn't do it. They would just go, "Oh, going to limp around because you're a moron and stuck your hand through a or stuck your paw through a window." I'm going to hear about this from. I know I'm going to hear about. Yeah, this. I don't think they'd say that. But I mean, you know, to me that's to me that's. I mean, I'm going to be hardcore about this and say that's just young people who haven't grown up yet who are incapable of making a responsible decision for themselves and they they're they're paying for a dog right so i don't know i'm gonna i know i'm gonna get grief for that one well i mean i'm not gonna like disagree with you i just think that i think uh, let me let me present a positive view one of the beautiful experiences that i was shocked to go through with this investing practice is that it has made me a total cheap tight ass with money. <laughs> and I did not expect that to happen because I was trying with all of my might to become looser with money and be willing to give my money up to this terrifying other companies in the public market. And that felt to me like I had to get, stop being tight and become very loose and... By doing so, I sort of somehow became tight the other way. But the, the beautiful part of it is that, and I'm going to get to the dog in a second. The beautiful part of it for me has been that I appreciate what I spend money on so much more because I know that I am doing it really consciously and I've decided that that is something that's worth it. And if I don't do the thing or spend the money on whatever the thing is, then I get to put that money 
in my investing account. And that's also totally awesome. So either way, I win. It's like the best. And what they did, and maybe they didn't feel as conscious about it, but what they did is spend money on love and affection and companionship. And there are so many people who choose to spend money on those things, who get a dog, who get a cat, who, um, you know, make sure they take their partner out for a nice anniversary dinner, even though it's expensive, because that's important to do those things. And I think it's, it's important that we remain humans and we don't become these sort of like automatons of like, that dog is an $80,000 dog in 50 years. Well, you know what? That dog is priceless in terms of love, probably, I hope. So <laughs> I think they think the dog's an idiot. I oh, really do. dad, don't I, say I that. <laughs> don't <laughs> say that. Don't. It's probably uh, it very nice. Okay, you're much nicer than me, and I totally see your point. But, man, if I were in their shoes, I would draw the line. Nobody I mean, spends 2500 bucks on a pet that they don't like. But lots of people spend a lot more than that on their beloved family well, what, member what, pets. Where do you draw the line? I mean, not to push this too far, but it's, what if it's, it's $10,000? It's a personal decision. That's where you draw the line. I mean, you make really, it. Are you, you really going to put yourself... I mean, these guys are trying to pay off student loans that they can't pay off. They've got I a mean, baby. Dad, they can't afford. I don't have a dog. Did you? Know, I've made that decision for myself. Like, we don't have a dog because I know how expensive pets can be. And we would need to get dog sitters and we would need to get dog walkers. And it would be a very large expenditure. And so we don't do that. And that's our choice. And they made the choice the other way. So, you know, I'm not going to say, like, what's right or wrong. But what 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 does matter is being conscious about that choice. And maybe, and I don't even know who you're talking about, but maybe they didn't really realize how expensive pets are. Who knows? Well, I, I think it's good to look at both sides of this for sure. And I, I'm probably taking a little bit draconian measure because maybe if it was my dog, I'd feel way different about it. Um, even if I didn't have any money, but, um, in fact, a good friend of mine that I was on the river with, um, I, I promise you he would have paid anything it took to fix his dog who was his, you know, companion and just... I mean, our dog that we had when I was growing up, we would have paid any amount of money for her to be fixed, no matter what. All right, I would have sold anything I needed to sell to ease her suffering. I'm wrong. I'm wrong on this. I could see I'm way wrong on this one. But let me just say, the impact of 2,500 bucks, even if you don't know how to invest is $80,000 of it's retirement money they and, won't and have. And your point, your point is well made. Your point number is one, well made. Thank you. But number two, and this gets really, really bad, is if you do know how to invest and can consistently end up with a, a reasonably good rate of return, about 15% a year or more, if you did 15% a year over that 50-year period of time, you're looking at 10 doubles. And then you're not talking about $80,000 anymore because that was only five doubles. Let's go to the rest of the way. It goes to 160, 320, 640, hmm. 1.3 million, 2.6 million dollars. <laughs> that dog <laughs> in 50 years represents a rather decent retirement. 
<laughs> if you can invest in 15% so a year. So here's what I hear you saying. If only I can muster $2,500, I will be a millionaire by the time I retire. Is that right? I could promise you that if you can do 15% a year. Yeah. Okay. The numbers don't lie. I mean, hey, my life doesn't lie. I started with a thousand bucks. And if you can make 15% a year, first thing that's going to happen is people are going to come to you and say, will you please invest money for me? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like amazing. They do. It and is. it's just unbelievable what you can I'm do. I'm starting from to there. experience so, that and it's weird. <laughs> yeah. It's so interesting, isn't it? And you don't have to chase them down. They're going to be out there because it's very difficult for people to find people they trust who can do that rate of return. And yeah. so if you can do it, guess what? You've got a whole career ahead of you that has, it's, I, honestly, investing investing money is just the best career in the world. You, you do it on your own time. I mean, Warren Buffett, Charlie, Charlie yeah, we got to, I know we got to end here. I, let me just end with this. I love dogs. <laughs> if it was my dog, I would have you fixed don't, it. Are you saying you don't kick them when you walk by a dog? No, I love dogs. And, okay, good. Uh, and that's the first thing. Second is that this is a phenomenal career. And if you guys get into this and start to learn how to do it, you, you will have a career as a side career. I just kind of, I can name a number of really, really successful investors who uh, made hun a couple hundred million dollars working full time at another career. And you know, just, you know, it, it, it doesn't take all of your life to go out and invest. In fact, <laughs> not too long ago, um, Char somebody asked Warren when he was going to retire and Charlie piped up and said, well, I think he's been semi-retired the entire time I've known him, which is to say These that guys, they just, nah, they're, they're, they're not far so off. untrue. It's so untrue. No, no, no. I don't think it's untrue at all. <laughs> I think the amount of leisure time you have as a, as a person who invests the way you do and the way I do, the amount of leisure time is extraordinary. How you use it, of course, is rather important. I, I spend a lot of time reading. I'm sure you do too. That's what Buffett does. That's what Munger does. But that's reading about the world. That's not just grinding away on 10Ks, right? No, but no, I mean, I, you're right. You're totally right in their life now and probably for the last 30 years. But, um, but you read about how hard Buffett worked in the beginning. He, Well, my know, guess had, is... He, he has... The, didn't have very good relationships with his family because he worked all the time reading the stock reading, reports. True. Yeah. Okay, and he, he enough. says that, you know? So yeah, I mean, fair he enough. put it, it's, it's classic, like, what is it that you called it? The four steps of mastery. Like he, he was becoming the, the person who knew the baseline about of, amount of information. And once he had that, then yeah, I think now, you know, it doesn't take him very long to evaluate a company and he definitely like does what he wants. Well, I know this much. I got to spend a lot of time with you and your sister when you guys were growing up. And that was a really big benefit of working right out of my house, right? That is true. That it's is true. Really, really phenomenal. And I'll, I'll tell you, there's, there's a great investor that worked out of the University of California, Irvine, full-time math pro professor, made $200 million in the markets. <laughs> <laughs> part-time ran a fund part-time that's pretty um, i mean that's I, I rest my case all right yeah, okay let's uh let's um that's so it for management next time we'll talk about whatever else is on the checklist but that's yeah, it for management next time we're right? going to talk about the 10 cap okay we're going into the 10 cap 
just fine. Right. You're going to, you're going to hate this because yeah. we're changing our strategy. We're changing our, our formula for the 10 cap. Oh, I will not be doing that, but yeah, let's hear. About <laughs> <laughs> That'll be interesting. Let's talk about that. I can't remember these sorts of things to save my life. So I, um, pull our book off the shelf whenever I need it and look up the <laughs> equations. <laughs> We're going to make it much easier okay. and probably maybe slightly more accurate. All right. All right. Anyway, till next time, time to go. Play. Thanks everybody. Bye. Bye. Hi guys. Thanks for listening to invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information or to listen to additional episodes, visit our website at investedpodcast.com and sign up for my virtual workshop right there. Spots are definitely limited for this event. I'm not kidding. They really are. They sell out very quickly. So everything discussed on this podcast, by the way, is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And it's really important. It's not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your financial advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So remember that you're on your own here. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only. And I really hope you enjoyed it.